Warning, explicit nerd-centric material. No, not like that. Cursing. Goddamn degenerates. Hi everyone, welcome to another week of Stay A While and Listen. Uh, this week I'll be joined by uh, Matt. Hello. And uh, Austin. Bonsoir. And uh, we're going to talk ethics and gaming since uh, we completely forgot that we had a co-host taking a vacation this week. <laughs> <laughs> if you it's tuned okay. in for that episode on the X-Card, it's coming. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, there was an X, wasn't it? Yeah, that's okay. We'll do that next week. Lots to think. Well, I'm going to have lots of things to say next week, too. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a great episode. Okay, okay. So, ethics in gaming. First of all, what games actually put in as ethics? Like, well, you know, Star Wars had an ethics system. D&D yeah. Alignment tries to be an ethics system. Yeah, but we know D&D players. Uh, Vampire tries to be an ethics system, oh. especially with the, the different paths other than humanity. Yes. Yeah, especially when you get into... The complicated world of anti-tribute, really. I mean, that throws the whole system out of whack. The Dark Ages uh, handbook from Second Ed had some great alternate morality systems. Well, uh, also, I think... What, L5R tries yeah. to have a system. Um, and, and, the, and, you know, I mean, I think the, we'll, we'll talk about that, all the different systems and everything first, but in the later half, ask the actual question of what good do these morality systems do for the gameplay, and is there a better way to do it? Some of them. But... Like, when we're talking about, like, Vampire, um, I think a lot of what governs what the players do, aside from ethics, is more of the concept of masquerade. The way that you interact with the world around you determines more of good or bad than, I think, your humanity. But you know more about the humanity than I do. I do, and I will say that humanity is something that, and I'm going to say this and piss off a lot of people, so I apologize ahead of time. No, you won't. I don't have any people to piss off. (laughs) However, with the morality system, what you're running into is how well does your ST want to enforce that in you? This yeah. is very true. Um, I typically, I run a vampire game. I only do it when the players piss me off. Your, your NPCs aren't moral. My NPCs are ultra-realistic, thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> your NPCs were written in the 90s. Your NPCs are full on cocaine. <laughs> no one said anything's wrong with cocaine. Well, but disclaimer. But I will say, for me, the morality system of Vampire pales in comparison. And I'm sorry to sidetrack and hijack, but pales in comparison. We can tell he doesn't listen to the show. <laughs> this is true. Um, I, I kid. It's worthless, and everyone should continue. Um, it pales in comparison to what you had with either Scion. Or with uh, Exalted. Okay, so give me give me an idea of what the system is for Vampire first. We have a comparison. So with Vampire, you have a humanity level. Now, there are different ways of setting it up depending on the edition. In fact, 5th edition has done away with humanity. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just got done with it. Like, <laughs> we're, we're not going to pretend that our players are going to care about this. <laughs> and I feel like that, that makes it more adaptable. But with a humanity system, you invest so many points into it, so many dots. And it dictates... The level of shock that you have at different acts, the repulsion to certain ways your character would act, in essence, it it can be a very useful tool for guiding your players to the right choice. And if you're one of those evil assholes that crossed systems, so if you had your mages and your werewolves and your hunters interacting with them, a lot of the defense that you got from some of those third-party magic systems, etc., was determined off of your humanity score. Yeah, which, you know, we, we've never really mixed a lot of systems, but, I mean... Um, I've, I've run a game you, personally where shit. it was... Yeah. <laughs> I've run a game personally where it was Vampire the Masquerade and Scion. The rest of the players had no interest in Mage, Werewolf, or Changeling. I always had an interest in Werewolf and you refused to play it. There is a reason I hate Werewolves. Um, hey, Brian! Namely right. because vampires I'll are the... Okay. Vampires are the superior of those, but that's a different topic. You're making sure. my husband be a Nazi. They're going to think you're a Nazi. I never get invited to these things. Brian just chases me away with a torch. That's true. But I mean, it is effective. It, it is. <laughs> and then I find a stage and get distracted. But 
really, it's I'm interesting to see. Life. <laughs> <laughs> I love you guys too. Mm-hmm. Especially when you mix in with what Scion has, which is the legend. Okay, okay. So hang on. So just to clarify with Vampire, because we want to set up a system. Yes, sir. Let's say that uh, you come into a room, and it's a meat locker, and it's a slaughterhouse. And so some vampires have been killing people, and you find, like, a section where it's, like, children on meat hooks. You're going to have to have your players make a humanity roll. And depending upon that roll, they can lose humanity. Now... Does that make them a worse player, or does it make them... Technically, it's a willpower roll using your humanity as DC. Yeah. And then, if your humanity score is high enough that you don't make that check, you could lose humanity, become more monstrous, but usually the loss of humanity is enough to give you a willpower point back, because you crossed a moral horizon. Or you make the check... And carry on with your life, or you fail it terribly, and so 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 I got to ask go with that thing. So I've always had it as a reactionary towards what's going on, but you have humanity checks for when someone does something as well. Yes. Yes. Okay. So the moral part of that system is based on humanity rules for actions. I had a Dark Ages salubri that had a humanity score of nine. I think that if I saw somebody strike someone, spit at someone, or uh, someone suffering, I had to make humanity rolls. Oh, jeez. I was making humanity rolls every fucking minute. Which is the problem with that system. You're, again, your ST can interpret, because let's face it, most games, and of course, I'm speaking purely out of theory, most games are built to where you have a lot of house rules that supersede the rules that are actually in the core book. That gives Brian twitches. <laughs> I know it does. I can see him clinching. It's now, hilarious. It's it's definitely something that happens, but leads to problems. Yeah. Because you get people that get used to a house rule from first edition, and second oh, edition sure. addresses the problem in its own way. And you try and fall back on this house rule that you love that's fixing a rule that's not even in the book anymore. And if you went by the rule they did, it's a more elegant solution sometimes. Well, yeah. And, you know, you get you, you get morality systems crossover. Oh, absolutely. But, because every set of table nerds, no matter what game your preferred system is, even if you hate the D20 system, will know what the alignment chart is. Yeah. True. I mean, that, that's one of the most, you know, as we've always had on this game, whether you like D&D or not, it, it pretty much is an exemplar for starting on understanding. It is RPG. the elephant in the rule room. Yeah. And and what gets me, though, is a question of that I've always had the problem with VTM with is that I don't know how much their morality system informs what the player should do or how they should play their character or more mitigates what they have done. And I don't think the latter is more fun because then you have you did this. Oh, make a check more as a punishment for saying. You did something bad. And that can be stuck in people's craw. Or if they see something that, that makes them do it, it, it doesn't inform how they play their character as much as it guides them in different ways whether they want to do it or not. Vampire, it was trying to set guideposts for you to go through. For lack of yeah. a better words, uh, the, those downhill skiing racing games on the old Nintendo where you had to go through the little brackets. Yeah, the Vampire was just setting up brackets for you to aim for. Yeah, and Zero Humanity was the abominable snowman at the end of that one? No, it depends. You, there were some... There, there are some people that wanted... With, with Humanity and Vampire specifically, and yeah, you had to go into Dark Ages or deep into the Gangrel book or deep into the Zamisi book for you to care. But there were benefits to having either really low or really high uh, humanity scores. My Humanity 9 Salubri could do holy damage equal to the humanity score per round. That's handy. That's fucking scary in a Dark Ages book. I hold up the sign of a cross. Ah, bitch, I'm not allergic to... I don't have the... uh, Effort of faith. No, but I'm a fucking salubri. <laughs> well, nine okay. aggravated damage. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, so it, you can integrate yourself into damage, which, we, you know, with D&D with a cleric. We'll get into that in a second. But you were trying to make the point of a difference between that humanity system that we've now encapsulated it and then 
Scion and Exalted. So with, I'll go ahead and get this out of the way as kind of a neutral base, if you will. Uh, with the Exalted system, it plays more into dictating how your character is and it's set. It doesn't change. I think in that way it kind of reflects the D&D system. However, it's not a stat. It's not something you write down. It's something that your ST is then challenged with incorporating into the world in which you are. Hmm. I have comments towards this later. Yeah. <laughs> um, for example, <laughs> with those who are not familiar with Exalted, Exalted, you play a demigod in a world that hates demigods. Science the better. world is run by celestial bureaucrats called Sidereals, who their entire purpose in life is to fuck with the web of fate. Why aren't we playing this? That seems like the NBCs you draw. Because I was going to say, this sounds like an Austin game. Yeah. I love the game, but unfortunately a lot of people associate it with anime, and I think that that's absolutely horrible. Okay, so the Trigun character I was making for his playtest of this, we'll, we'll just have to scrap that. Build me something better. We'll just file off the serial numbers. We'll, we'll make it, we can tweak it to something else. Tree gun? Tree. He has a gun for a tree. Yeah, he's tree gun. But <laughs> it is also interesting because... He's Vashiel, the stampede. Angel of God. <laughs> <laughs> it's also interesting because you do get this feel of how morality affects everything else in the game. For example, your ST can call you out on, no, you're not going to kill that child in the market for shits and giggles. Throwing out a side note here, nature and demeanor from Vampire could also be part of the morality system then. They definitely could be considered that. Um, Scion, or not Scion, sorry. We'll get into Scion in a minute. Exalted? Exalted has that to a degree, but your cast is what defines your personality. Well, I think nature and demeanor would be more indicative of informing the player again, how they play it. Again, the way Vampire's morality system was, in my opinion, is its goalpost for you to be aiming for. Yeah, and yes. I mean, I mean, and bring it all back though, they scrapped it. Oh yeah, because to be honest, to be completely honest, in my opinion, humanity system didn't add much to the game with separate bureaucracy. Correct. Yeah. As much as I hate to say it, it was really only there for those people that want to throw the, the pity party Louis vampire from the movie. Yes. <laughs> now, I will say this is where I actually applaud what Scion did. Okay. In Scion, instead of humanity, you have legend. And legend is how well you live up to the morality, the nature and demeanor, if you will, that you have chosen. Yeah, usually the, dictated by who your god sire is. Yes, the ancestry that you have. So if you're with Ares, god of war, if you never turn away from a fight, if you always solve problems head on, and if in a fight you'll keep punching until they knock you clean out and not just wuss out, it goes towards your legend. Whereas if you're one player that we had, here, they who shall not be named, who was an Ares, a child of Ares, and when basically fighting Utnapishtim, oddly enough, turned around and ran. Like, I could either punish them with their dad comes down and gives them a whooping, because if we're going to talk about anybody's parents who'd probably spank their child, Ares, <laughs> you know, or we can... Fall back on the legends. So, so wait a second. Can I make a spawn of uh, Zeus, whose just entire goal in life is to uh, have fuck everything? He's erotic. Yeah. Yeah. You <laughs> definitely can. If you join my game, you can make a, a child of Zeus who you can even make him a furry, and nobody will understand that. And he's like, I mean, I like to judge like animals. <laughs> I, I just, I, I love this cartoon. It's you know Zeus, and he's sitting on his throne, and he's got that eyebrow raised, like hello, and he's looking at a cow, and then the next image is the minotaur. He's like, hello, and he's looking at uh, something else, and it made another uh, cross-species thing, like a uh, fish centaur or something. Yeah. And then the next, the last one, he's looking at a mouse, and it's Pikachu. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, and I like the fact that Legend also rewards you for playing into your moral line. Uh, for example, had said player chosen to fight instead of run, they would have gained additional bonuses and been able to access the legendary stats. 
and had additional dice to roll, additional damage dealt. Yeah. And much, much needed assistance in a fight that our wonderful ST had prepared for us. Well, and that person was supposed to be the tank. And more into a really early on, you know, uh, podcast that we had that was roles in RPGs. And I think roles and morals come into play a lot. I don't think that they're they're mutually exclusive, obviously. Like you can have a good guy uh, necromancer, but and there's even like a fallen paladin. You know what I mean? So you can mix and match it, but there is there is something to be said for the way that the morality system dictates the way players are able to move. And I'll be honest, and this sounds horrible and people will hate me for this. I have almost disregarded the legend system in Sion. I need to reincorporate it, but I'm I'm tired of trying to because as the GM, it's it's annoying to to implement that system and then have like that one player that's like, do I get legend points for this? You talk to a gas station attendant. But I was tricky about it. I don't care if your god was Loki. You're talking to a gas station attendant. Please stop fishing for points. Well, and I will say, I this is where I get to brag on myself. I loved the fact that I got to play a child that well, not a child in age, but a child of Eris, the goddess of chaos and discord, whose sole goal in any fight was to get everyone in the room high as all fuck. fuck. Yeah. He was not there to be the hero. No. He was there purely to get everyone high as fuck and had a rabbit that he fed drugs to. Yeah, but I mean, that that's kind of how these games end up going. This is one of the sad truths of the tabletop RPG hobby is we say we want to be the heroes, but we really just kind of want a world that we can no. fuck around in. No, yeah. Well, and shout out to my original ST that got me into, into uh, tabletop gaming. I love her to death. Her name is Sarah. She has been on other podcasts. She has run games, homebrewed games, whole nine yards, right? No. But she said the best way to surmise any group of tabletop gamers is how active is your group of happy murder hobos. Yeah. And I think that's about what it boils down to. Yeah. And that's true. At so, least 30% of the time. So the question is, <laughs> is the game then trying to pull people out of being a murder hobo with its morality system? And is that why one of the reasons that a lot of STs or GMs, if you will, end up dropping the morality system because they can't pull their players into being heroes. Oh, man. The last time I ran Star Wars, mm -hmm. I had a whole party of Jedi. Great. Lovely. <laughs> they should, we're great Jedi. I see what you're doing. Yeah, there. Th th this is wonderful. <laughs> you know, whole party of force-wielding, lightsaber-wielding badasses. We should have fun with this. I've already got Plans set up for dark side temptation because I've got a party full of Jedi. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Now I've got one player who just like, I want to be a Sith, so I want to go out and kill, I want to go murder babies just so I can be a Sith. To be absolutely honest, if you jump into the game and follow the fucking breadcrumbs, mm -hmm. if you just kind of let it play out instead of want to go off and become... I want to go find. I want to go to Korriban. I want to go find me a holocron. I want to become a Sith. <laughs> if you just go along, you could get there pretty easy. But just demanding, no, I want to go off and do. All you're doing is slowing down this train. Well, and and here's the thing. Like, okay, before Wizards of the Coast took over the Star Wars game, it had, in my opinion, the old D6 system, yeah, the worst morality system for Jedi. Yes. And here's one. If your Jedi turn to the dark side, do you know what by the book you're supposed to do? The GM takes your 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 Jedi mm -hmm. and plays it. You don't play that character anymore. And I think that that morality system is is bad enough. Like they're really trying to get people not to become dark side characters, which forces people who are murder hobos into a role where they're trying to dance the line so they don't get it. But if anything takes a character out of a game, if you watch your character get taken over and then watch atrocities be done with it when you're not playing with anything that takes you out of the game shouldn't be part of the game. Like, kicking someone out of a group is one thing, but you're forcing them to sit down and watch you 
takes their character away from them. I don't care if they're dark side. I think you should have, you know, means within the world to address that. But the GM taking your character is the worst end result. Like, it's close because D&D has clerics lose their powers. Mm-hmm. But in, in the D6 Star Wars, you lost your character if they were dark side. And the person whose subjective opinion of that was... And everybody was got dark side points, not just Jedi. Yeah. Yeah. And you could just have your, stu- your oh. shit stolen. You, you, you play a Wookiee who has a racial trait of flying into a rage, you go ahead and rage to kill a stormtrooper. Yeah. Oh, you killed somebody out of rage. Have three dark side points. Yeah. Oh, but I, if I get seven, I lose my character. Well, and, and this is this <laughs> touches on something that I wanted to touch on later, not right now, but I'm going to go ahead and throw it out there. How realistically does this map to an actual morality system? Because, like, for instance, that one. Oh, you killed someone out of rage. Yeah, okay. We could say that, but... I mean, you're not even going to have, I mean, it's not going to be very horribly, but not even everyone at the table is going to have the same conceptual understanding of morality that you may have. And so it's a subjective moral view that's a call from the GM. And you may have people that are like, well, that dark side point's undeserved. It was self-defense. I was trying to defend myself. A fury is my trait. Why the hell is this happening? Well, that's that's a bad action. Says who? Oh, says me. I'm the GM. Now you're de-incentivizing the whole morality thing because people are like, I don't understand the morality system, so I'm going to be hands-off and not make decisions. To be absolutely honest with you, my general guiding star is I'm okay with you being a shifty rogue person stealing from people. You walk into the middle of town and declare whirlwind attack. That's (laughs) an evil action. I think, think like, one of the (laughs) obvious lines, and this is an unspoken line, but it's always the would-you-kill-an-orphan line. Women and children. It's the women and children line again. You're just like, oh, you murdered a child. Okay, I think I think we usually we don't address this, but there's a dead child, so we're gonna have to tick off one of these boxes. I mean, (laughs) this is the least we can do. Well, and I will say we ran into this with Exalted because, as I mentioned, Siderials weave the web of fate and And, all that. You know. Well, and my character at the time. And this is where I should advise, if you're ever playing in my game, please don't take your personal vendettas to the table. That's... But all your NPCs but, are assholes. The personal vendettas against other players. Okay. Just personal vendettas against you is okay? No. But I can punish you more easily for personal vendettas against me. But one of the players had managed to... <laughs> <laughs> One of the players had managed to piss me off outside of the game. We had taken a smoke break. He was an ass. He kicked you in the balls. Metaphorically. And I had decided that my character being the snobbish asshole he was, I know I play that in every game, but... You don't say. Yeah. But he decided that while they were going to go down in the sewers to defeat the fey hagfish, which... There's a fey exalted is a thing. What? He decided he would alert the dragon-blooded knights, who their sole purpose in the game is to kill the exalted, that they were down in the sewer, where there's only one exit. Because, you know, when your party pisses you off, let them die inside. My ST, again, I love her to death, said, you know that's an action bad enough to attract the uh, attention of these sidereals who already hate you to begin with. I think that's a much more fun system to play with as an ST. As a player, it made me so angry that I had to deal with the consequences of my own action. But I think really that's how you it's should play that. that I know, right? <laughs> um, but I really think that that's something that does need to be addressed with the morality system. Is Should it be consequence-based or intent-based? Mm. Well, I mean, do you, do you judge, like, okay... Now we're getting into the weeds of just morality. And I this, is, this is why so, this is your episode. <laughs> so it comes to the question based on two separate kind of morality systems. So the main one I want to focus on is one that I personally hold to, which is a form of consequentialism. I'm not going to go into my actual morality system and all that. But consequentialism doesn't beg the question of whether a person is right or wrong or good or bad. People inherently aren't that. But you then look at the consequences of their action saying, was that action good or bad? It's, it's the, the objective morality system that most people don't believe exists. It, there is objective morality. 
if you can quantify the actions of a person. But the, it gets into the weeds when you have someone who wants to murder an old lady, breaks into her home, and in doing so, saves her life because there was smoke inhalation and she was starting to suffocate. So we could then look at the person and be like, how in a game would we punish that? They're wanting to break in to kill this old lady. They break in, see smoke, run away, and unknowingly save the old lady's life. Did he do a, is Is it a good thing that he did? Or was there good consequences from the bad action he intended? Now, see, I'm he go got enough good points that he just lost one of his backstab die. <laughs> he did. Now, see, I'm going to argue here for the sake of argument because... That's what you two do? Matt is wonderful. That's true. Um, oh, well, see, now, now we're just <laughs> saying falsehoods. But because okay. I come from a school of contractarianism. Yes. Now we're going to get into actual real-world ethics here. Well, almost. Um, honestly, what I as an ST go with is the social norms and contracts of the setting of the world. Yeah. For example, we'll take Exalted again because I'm gearing up to host a game of that. I want to be a bad person. There are whorehouses all over the city. Now, modern sensibilities would say that whorehousing is... In it some depends. Are we in Reno or California or yeah. Nevada? In Germany? <laughs> we can get into what... I'm not going to get into the ethics of horsehouses. But... I'm gonna, we're going to stay on game. Stay on game. But it Damn. capitalizes off of the xenophobia, if you will, or the racism, if you will, of the world setting. Man. My I, character decides to start a political revolution based on the legalize whorehouses and regulate them, then tax them for the income so that we can repair the city streets because I'm sick of these cobblestones. Good luck because you have the council that rules the city and the empire that rules the world. But if you run that, can we have the campaign be called Come for Cobble? <laughs> you can call it whatever If you it doesn't like. work out, you can just change it to Gobble. Cobble your cobble. <laughs> <laughs> but... Is your character visiting one of those whorehouses, or okay. is your character getting high, necessarily a mark against them? Contractually, you would have to say, is it wrong in this world for someone to use opium or to visit a whore? No. Well, no, it's not considered wrong. One of the great ones, as far as putting out examples, D&D &D classical, slaying an orc. No. They're all evil. Taking a life, slaying an orc. What about enslaving an orc? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and that inherently goes with the problem that... In D Although, even worth mo mentioning, Watsi just came out and said there is no inherently evil race anymore. Yeah. Well, and the reason why they did it is because... Um, and once again, you know, they're, they're making a push, Watsi is right now, for... You know, the Draenei not to be... And this is a whole argument in and of it itself of the, the, the minorities and their being enslavement and how do you deal with social pressure of that. But, you know, one of the biggest things that you can tell of uh, a hallmark of bad ethics... Drywells matter. Yeah. <laughs> one of the hallmarks of bad ethics is othering people. So we inherently, as human beings, give rights to those that we see as our equal. Right? So I'll believe that a person that lives halfway across the world, should have the same human rights as me if, and only if, I view them as another human being. But as soon as you start othering people, and this is the problem that we had with racism early on, it was slavery is they're less than normal people. We used to have, you know, phrenology where you'd, they'd measure their skulls and they just can't handle reading or things like that. And that's where it comes with the orcs. All orcs are evil. So it's a broad paintbrush kind of thing. And once you can deny the 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 other uh, or the sameness that you might have with an individual, for lack of a better word, the humanity of these fantasy creatures, <laughs> yeah, you can justify acts to them in accordance with the idea that you can't you you can withhold rights from them as they are not your equal. So when you get into fantasy systems like Great this, lives matter. <laughs> when you get into fantasy systems like that, they run into this problem because. They inherently want to set up tension between the races in the game. They do. Yes. And so they're going to put in what naturally occurs, which is racial bias, which is unfortunate. But it has driven this world for the not for the centuries, better, but for, for centuries. And the only way that you can have racial bias is you have to have tribalism. And the outcome of tribalism is othering an outgroup. Mm -hmm. And so inevitably, if you want to say, well, you can't do things bad to that, you can't do that. Eventually, though, you have to say, OK, would my character view them? 
as equal to them. And if they don't, then you're muddling up the ethics of, well, they're an orc. I've never, you know, my parents have always said they're not, you know, you're not worth it. They're all evil and enslaving them. So then I'm going to ask the two of you, because you both have played in my game. You understand the basic setup of Toreador being above everyone else and aristocratic and things like that. All your NPCs are assholes. But within this homebrew game, we have a setup where one clan of vampires, the Toreador, are in control. The Gangrel are treated as hunting dogs, the Malkavians as lap dogs. The Bruja is thugs. Should I have... You're a clanist bastard. Yeah. Should I have made your characters roll their humanity when they saw things like the Gangrel being starved to the point of fighting each other and killing each other? In my opinion, yes. If you were using the humanity system at all, then you'd have to look at the individual scores, and anybody with a humanity over four, I would have made roll. And here's why. Because... You were speaking earlier about contractualism. The problem with one of the problems with contractualism, and we've had this fight before. Oh, very much so. Is that it justifies othering. It justifies tribalism because if the contract is written by the majority in a civilization or in a society and is upheld by it, it doesn't really necessarily protect the minority. So for, say, contractualism in your game universe, the Toreador are the ones and everything else is underneath them. Contractually, a Toreador could then go off and do whatever they wanted to these poor gangrels because they're withholding this, they're upholding the social contract of the society that they live in. Whereas consequentialism says, okay, but what is the outcome and suffering of those around them? It doesn't matter where you are. The contract doesn't apply because we're not judging by what we've all agreed on because the majority of people can agree to harm the minority. But if we look at the outcome and see suffering versus well-being, then... Yeah, you could you could make them roll humanity, but with contractualism, monster, Esog smash. <laughs> but with contractualism, I'm going to defend it here because I'm going to say this: there has to be a certain amount of structure. Social contracts change with the zeitgeist. I mean, that's just something that happens. Yeah, but you can't have an objective moral system structured on a subjective changing society, though, can you? I argue that we in fact do. We do, but we shouldn't. But I argue that we do, in fact, have one. The game table is a social contract. That's true. That's true, because you have a metagame. So you have the The, in-game, and then you have The game table is a social contract. Generally speaking, I don't have to tell anyone, hey, child murder, rape, these are off the table. But if we have a game where we're talking about this evil NPC... Lord thinks that he's saving humanity's backs by enslaving the orcs. Now slavery has become a key in- a key point of our game, and no. we're handling it as adults. Well, but then that shit kicks off. That happened this year. We got Black Lives Matter, what yeah. have you. Then is it time for us to, hey, guys, while this was a good thing and we're doing it well and we're handling it like adults, this matter's hitting real close to home right now. Maybe we should shelve this idea right now. Then did our social contract exact, uh, respond to a daily zeitgeist? Yes, it did. Well, and and part of me... Sorry, I'll, I'll let you speak in a second. I know, you'll punch me when we get home. It used to be I could walk on their feet and, and step on all of them talking because I could retreat home to you. And, and now I can't because if I step on your feet, then you just punch me when I get home. That's because you're dealing with an actor. That's true. <laughs> but no, but I mean, th- then we got then we got the question of how much does the, the uh, and two points, because two things are running through my head at the same time, and they're running off Don't worry, he'll get up to three here in a minute. Uh, yeah, probably. Do the ethics of the players supersede the ethics of the world? For instance, if it would be something common in the world to see an orc slave, right? Mm-hmm. And... Or, or let, let's say this, let's say this, let's say this, because I, I, I don't know D&D as well as I know, and we've proved I don't know D&D as well as I know other things. That's fine. But let's say that you're all raised up in the system and VTM that you have, and enslaving a gangrel is a common occurrence, right? It happens all the time. It's their lot in life. So as the characters, there wouldn't be an ethical role if they're all raised Toreador, because if we're going by social contract and zeitgeist, so they wouldn't have to make a humanity check if they see a slave auction of Gangrel, right? But how much does the ethics of the people at the table inform that? Because none of us would be okay with a slave auction of anyone in any clan. Because 
we inherently know that slavery is absolutely fucking abhorrent and unethical. So would we make the role because are we basing our characters off of our personal ethics that we bring to the game? Or are we going to play a game to where we base it off the ethics of the characters? Because are we not our characters? I really hate to say this, but this is one of those moments where it really takes a mature level of conversation between the storyteller and the GM. Because there have been games where they're not calling for humanity checks on things like that, but I'm running a character that I care deeply about whether or not, because I'm just watched Interview with a Vampire and it's the 90s and I mm-hmm. want to be a tragic romantic hero and <laughs> I'm wearing eyeshadow and fake eyelashes my on my always uh, running. fake eyelashes on my cheeks because I'm trying to be that fucking need that many eyelashes. Did you yeah. provide your own My Chemical Romance albums? Or this is before My Chemical Romance. It's typo negative all the way. Well, <laughs> yeah. But there would be a time where the player might need to suggest, hey, I need to roll this. Yeah. Uh, well, and the second point that you brought up was like BLM. And I think this addresses morality systems in general of games. Are they going to have to change? And not just the morality system, but the story and inherent setting of the games. Because uh, Watsi right now is changing the way that people view the drow and orcs and, and how that works because we're at a at a... I'm going to use this term. You're not going to understand. The audience is not going to understand it. A Pazuzu point, meaning a point that the ethics are going to turn. They're going to change. And how we view race relations. And as a general society, we're at a turning point. Mm-hmm. Um, the question is, is can we still incorporate it into our stories for effect for a good point? Like, if racism is key to that, how do we then portray what we need because if we just simply say the fact that well we can't have slaves or anything in a game if we look at art in general which is not the philosophy i usually deal with i don't need to deal with aesthetics or the message of art but then if we if we're able to say we should never deal with any topics that are hard to deal with we wouldn't end up with like the color purple or even uh housekeepers the one where she makes a pie with shit in it the hell, the hell. Yes. or by the numbers where we have to address the issue of race, because the issue of race, though we don't like it, our failings as human beings give us depth to understand how to fix it and how to deal with it. So has, there, has there ever been a redeemed story of a player playing a half-orc who's a bastard child of a rape that they turned out a good story off of it? Yeah. Then it is my opinion... That, going back to stay a while and listen's rule number one, mm-hmm. have an adult conversation before you involve it in your game. No. And then as long as you're treating it like adults, yeah. fucking go for it. Because now, this is where mm-hmm. I'm going to draw back to my personal nerddom. And I'm sure part of the reason that I don't get on this very much and Brian usually chases me around with me. No, nobody's saying you can't come on this thing. <laughs> you keep perceiving that. But in the world of theater, we're facing a similar issue. You'll Y'all have slave me. trades? <laughs> You'll forgive me real quick. The reason that I didn't invite you to be a core member of this is you had two shows running, a full-time job, and were close to ripping your hair out when I was first setting this up. In fairness. You're a busy person. In fairness, I'm an actor, so attention is my <laughs> lifeblood. Trust me, I That's try okay, to feed him a ton of attention. <laughs> I try to feed him a ton of attention. I'm watching our analytics. Where they didn't even notice we took a month off. That's <laughs> eh, okay. We love you all, anyways. If you're still listening, we do love you. <laughs> but one of the issues that we're facing with theater is there are a lot of plays that deal with very harsh language. Um, for example, I recently directed a play I wrote in which one of the characters calls the main character a fairy faggot. Yeah. That writer is terrible for writing that words and should be hung up at a stake. Oh, the writer is an asshole. I've met him and he's awful. I slept with him. I'm ashamed. You should be. I should be. <laughs> but it was brought to my attention that one of the actors was uncomfortable saying that. Yeah, which it's And not it's understandable. The uh, person portraying the character that says that phrase is a cisgendered heterosexual male. And often, 
if you're not part of the minority, I find this is true. If you're not part of the minority, you are very, very more guarded around words that have been used to harm the minority. If you're part of that minority, it's easier for you to deal with. It's odd, but true. But one of the things that we got at was, is it in bad taste to say that now? Absolutely. Was it common parlance at the time that it was written? Yeah. Yes. It was, and and it was it was a key part of that character. You'll forgive me for bringing this parallel up, but uh, the schools that have banned uh, Huck Finn and absolutely, and I'm getting there with that. Um, for example, there was a big controversy in the theater world because a theater company had decided to do hairspray. Yeah. Now, Hairspray is a fun musical rom, but it, it addresses racial it, tension. It addresses racism in the 60s. Yeah, which was Martin Luther King, people, <laughs> is very pervasive. This particular school did not have any black actors in the production. Now, did they, did they have black actors? They did. They chose to tell the black actors to go home after the first rehearsal because they felt these black actors were Lazy and useless and not as dedicated as they should be. Okay, was that a racial thing, or were they just lazy, useless people? The jury is out. However, they decided to change the message. That it was about the color of clothes the the students were wearing. Well, then that takes all the teeth out of that damn play. And that's what I'm getting at with this whole changing the drow thing. For me, the writing of the lore of an RPG, the writing of a morality system, the creation of a character... Is your own art brought into the game? Well, I think, for lack of a better word, uh, better turn of phrase, the whole reason why late 90s, early 2000s, we had a billion people who wanted to play the one good drow elf because they're an evil bastard race. Yeah. The only reason people wanted to play the one special snowflake good elf from the evil bastard race is because there was an evil bastard race to begin with. Yeah. So sometimes, well, and also <sighs> you need a little bit of bad to have a little. Well, and also here's the other thing, and this this comes from not just philosophy. This comes from storytelling in general. Um, if everything is good, if everything is fine, and there is no social conflict, then there's no stakes. If there's if no conflict, a, yeah. what are we going out? If for? you have a drow character. And a normal elf character, and every time they meet, they shake hands and go, hello! Then that that just nullifies the history to it, it nullifies the conflict to it, and it nullifies how rich you can make that that World. character. And one of the other things is, is that if you get down to what the core of ethics really is, ethics is di- the dictation of how we should treat each other in social contexts. That's it. So, I mean... Socially, if we if we can't say that, you know, there's an entire race of bastard people, yeah, that's horrifying, that's bad, but we're shorthanding it for a social interaction, because this is a social game. You want to have an entire villain group that you want to overcome, or if you're from that villain group, even better, you can redeem yourself and your kindred in some way. But if you take away all that 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 history and that lore... Because, I mean, this happened all the time in ancient history, where an entire group, like the Huns or whatever, were hated because their their previous forefathers ended up being conquerors, and then the rest of the world hated them, and then they wanted to be living in peace, and nobody liked them, and they were all seen as villains because, you know, I don't know, a hundred years ago, they were marching around through the t- through cities, you know, raping and pillaging. It That is a true dynamic, though. Mm-hmm. That's a true dynamic of how societies have to interact with on a larger scale, not just the interpersonal, but a larger scale with other people groups. And they have to overcome that. And if you don't have something for your characters to overcome, then they're not making progress as characters. Half of what D&D and RPGs are is the growth of your character. That's why we have a level system. But if your character doesn't grow socially or ever address these sort of issues... Or then, are ever challenged or ever challenged, Then you're either building a Mary Sue or we might as well go and watch an office... And just watch people do their daily life. Well, and this is harkening back to a conversation I'm not sure if Brian remembers us having. Sorry, Brian. But this was back in 2017. So I'm digging up old archives here. <clears throat> Pardon me. A little frog in my throat. Oh, I swear he's running I, away. 
I swear I don't have coronavirus. Nice. Um, He's chasing after other Frenchmen. You, you should be careful. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> you <have> poachers. <laughs> but with my games, the reason I set up the enslavement of the Gangrel, the subjugation of the Malkavians, this avant-garde affront to modern sensibilities. Mm-hmm is because I want your characters in the shoes of the revolutionaries, those who are looking to change the social contract. No. Not because I want you to uphold the social contract of the city. It is worth throwing out. You need to do more research into what happens when revolutionaries start doing the revolting. (laughs) (laughs) You need to learn the combat system a little better. (laughs) The French aristocrats are doing fine, I swear. (laughs) <laughs> yeah oh no no but well and th- this poses another question okay and, and this might be out of left field so here we are posed with rudimentary ethical systems in each of these games and some of the newer games are slopping them off mm-hmm. like okay actually before we get into that give us a rundown on the D one we've been talking around VT this is true let's mm-hmm. get D out on the table because it is a large part into the granddaddy of all this. D&D is, of course, the old-fashioned alignment chart. Lawful, neutral, uh, lawful, chaotic, good, evil, neutral. Yeah. I'm tons of people see it on... Blocked around it. Even nerd nerd culture and nerd apparel now has yeah, references to it. It's ubiquitous. <laughs> uh, I should take this time to mention I am personally allergic to a d20 system so i'm familiar with the chart i hate the rest of dnd throw d20s at him watch it it'll make him have hives but no like oh no uh, <laughs> yeah i guess you can hold up a d20 like the cross <laughs> but no but i mean okay so how did how did that system inform what players were to do and how gms responded to it to be absolutely honest it mostly didn't. Yeah. I think the only thing that had a... Was there were, if you worshipped a god... There were three up. times that it would come up. Now, correct okay. me if I'm mistaken, sorry to interrupt, but if I'm not mistaken, the rules regarding alignment mm-hmm. is that if you violated your alignment, for example, if you're lawful good and you decide to rob a bookstore, mm-hmm. you took a hit to the experience points you got... Back in, like, first and second edition, maybe. Okay. Yeah, after that, people was a slap on the wrist. Yeah. yeah. Uh, alignment, by third edition, alignment came into play in three uh, three parts of the game. And that was, if you had class restrictions that required your alignment, so monks had to be lawful, yeah. paladins had to be good, had to be within an alignment of their god, Clerics had to be within an alignment of their god, and you failed there, you could lose access to class features. Yeah. Uh, two was um, magic weapons. Mm-hmm. Bane of lawful good did extra damage against you if you were lawful good. Circle of protection against good. This kind yeah. of shit. Yeah. For the most part, Ah, it was very much dependent on your DM. Some people were trying like hell. Oh, shoehorn it in. I'm gonna be, I wanna be a paladin because paladins kick ass and take names. You can't be a paladin, you're being an evil asshole. Nah. Some people were using it. They weren't using it as a morality system. They were using it as a different set of reins to try and control their players. Yeah, which, to be honest, a lot of the system, there's a lot of strings that come attached. A lot of the morality systems in a lot of games are trying to just, for lack of a better word, corral the players into certain... Actions or stay away from these actions. Well, and I think that that came into play in the game that you played in of mine, where Matt here played a child vampire. Mm-hmm. Which, according to all mores... Yeah, Joff. <laughs> Joff, yes. Joff was amazing. Joff was, and he was the bane of my existence for so long. 
I love Scott. As I said last week, I had to retire Joff because of some things. I love Joff. Lots of things. <laughs> I love Joff, too. But it was also... I should have enforced the morality system there. Where people tried to kill me? Where people would kill you on sight, defang you, etc., etc., because according to vampire morality and moral alignments of everyone being Camarilla, or Camarilla, depending on how proper you want to be about it. Aluminum. Aluminum. It's the English language. Aluminum. But I didn't enforce it. No. Because it would have hurt storyline. Yeah, and it would have hurt gameplay. However, it makes I could you feel also... better. My character personally would have met you first as a person and then just made his decision. <laughs> True. However, I also, as the ST, then had the prerogative of abusing the shit out of that with NPCs. This yeah. is true. You don't so, abuse NPCs. No. no. He uses his NPCs to abuse his players. That's true. I am going to tie you to the radiator tonight again. I thought I could let you out. I'm in a relationship. I just don't know what the word abuse means. <laughs> uh, for those of you that don't know, Matt seems to like the abuse. It's true. But but here's a question, and I want to get the opinion of everyone around the table, though. So we've, we've talked about these systems. Did they ever work as intended? Did they do what the game wanted them to do? In my opinion, the only one that ever came close to doing what was intended is L5Rs. Those are the five rings? Yeah. And remind us what that one was. It, you had an honor score and a glory score. A glory hole. And, an honor and hole. If your honor score was so high, if you committed an infraction against society or Bushido, you had to make a save against it or lose face. Okay. You got benefits for being honorable and not a whole lot else. Yeah. But it did shine a light on, hey, we're playing a samurai game, follow fucking samurai rules. <laughs> that's yeah. what it was designed to do. Yeah. And see, and that's... Where you asked the question, were there any that did what they were designed to do? In my opinion, L5Rs shined a light on the sevenfolds of Bushido. I would argue that Exalted, mm -hmm. in its whole, you know, you defy your morality of your character and the purpose of your character, fate's going to fuck with you. Yeah. Well, and I think... Are there any systems that you've seen that you think have the potential to make... A good morality system? Ooh, or is this one of those things that is best dealt table to table, person to person? And that's the trick, because, like, the fate system. Not, not oh, I was going to go there. Okay, I was go gonna, ahead. I was going to say fate seems like a good one if you want a certain moral point mm -hmm. to be important to your character, working it into a uh, an, an aspect... Mm -hmm. For those that don't know, aspects and fate, aspect is actually a, a, a keyword, and you can spend fate points by tapping your aspects, or your aspects can be evoked against you. And I tap two aspects and cast counterspell. I tap and... an aspect <laughs> to get two fate, <laughs> to get a plus two on my die roll. Yeah. <laughs> or, hey, you want to... You're, you're you're being a chivalrous asshole. You need to open this door for this uh, this <laughs> monster lady. You want this free fate point? <laughs> but through their invoke and compel, with a good group bought into the system and got used to actually interacting with the system, I think that fate points could be a good well, I mean, backbone for something that's morality, but it's more important than just general morality. Yeah. It's something that, because the way they're worded and made, aspects could well, and that's the thing, inform. like form. Like I was going to say with the face system and with that, the difference is, is like with vampire and with D and D, and not with not with a uh, not scion, but exalted. exalted. Exalted, I'll get to in a second. If you don't integrate it into the numbers, if you don't integrate it into where it is actually a boon and actually is incentivized. Uh -huh. then people are going to discard it. Because here's the uh -huh. problem. With humanity points, yes, there's some niche things that you could do as we talked about with humanity, 
But other than that, you could run an entire character and not give a shit about humanity. They Absolutely. Don't, they don't do it. And you're not incentivized to get more or have less for the most part. It's never going to come as part of your build. The only time that it ever mattered is if you had a storyteller that enforced, if you humanity yeah. dips under three, I'm taking it away from you. Yeah. And like with and D- then we're back to the Star Wars, taking away a character is bad just, punishment. Yeah. And then if you get with, with you know, D&D, the whole, well, you could lose your skills. Okay. Well, if you're not a cleric, monk, or, or paladin, do you give a fuck via the system? There's nothing to incentivize it for I the most I think it part. was Pathfinder. Mm-hmm. That said, for the most part, every creature defaults to neutral. Yeah. And that, you know, yeah, it's just fine. Well, and it, it is sort of like the other thing that the morality systems in there is they tend to reflect legislative or punitive systems. Yes. So you have punitive punishments is what they usually go for. They don't really incentivize as much as they punish for bad actions or actions, in this case, outside of what your character would do. And that... When I was when I was running Star Wars, I used to incentivize by giving... Have you ever played Savage Worlds or Powered by the Apocalypse and you're used to something that has a Benny system? Played a little bit of that, yeah. You got a Benny system. I used to give light side Bennies. Okay. They were D6. You could spend the D6 on any roll by... Invoking your good karma. Yeah. And see, I think that's where Scion definitely shines. Because instead of being punitive, yeah. it it emboldens you. Yeah. And to steal a Matt Groening word, because I'm sure there's a lot of cross <laughs> over there, <clears throat> it embiggens you. Yes. It makes your character more formidable. Yeah. Even Exalted, it, it does that in a way. Yes, Absolutely. Well, and, and here's the other thing, is that I think what a lot of people in these not-so-great systems, like, okay, I'll speak from D&D. I played D&D 3rd Edition for, or 3.5, actually, for years. And the morality system was lacking in that. But the best way you could enforce the morality system is through, instead of the actual system itself or with contractarianism, is consequentialism. Uh-huh. So nothing says you're screwing up as much as a town hiring people to come kill you. <laughs> you know, and again, that is a punitive system. That is, you know, where it looks at the thing and, and punishes you for bad things. But that one at least, at least adds to the story. Now, you can get it bogged down to where inevitably they're hated in every town they go. But the question is, is sometimes it just better for the GM to take the reins and make it a simulation of as if they were in the real world? What would happen? Your morality system score, I don't care about. But let's say now the guards know what you look like, and they spread word, and now you're being hunted. Or that's Shadowrun in general. <laughs> yeah. Or like you've gotten word of mouth, and now certain shops won't sell to you. Or if you're an especially good person, people will come and ask you for favors and pay you, and you don't have to look for your quests anymore. There's people that you've saved and rescued that are so happy with it that they you see them in a town, and they will give you free food or or give you free lodging. Well, and that also begs the question of immersion. And one of the things that, well, it's sort of an experiment that I'm doing with the vampire game that I'm currently running. Please stop using LSD, it hurts. Which is, and this is going to sound horribly sadistic of me, what happens when you get a bunch of actors playing a role-playing game? Oh, God, I'm the only non-actor for the most part, and it hurts. And it deals with, and I think this also ties back to... Get him back in there. He's not an actor. He hates me and hits me when you're not looking. I do not. (laughs) These bruises didn't come from my own hand. Um, (laughs) I hate him and I hurt his NPCs. This is true. Using the rules. We all try to do that. (laughs) Who uses rules as an ST? Unless you're abusing players, which is perfectly fine. I use rules as a player to abuse my (laughs) STs. But it's the only way to fight the man, dude. It ties back <laughs> into the lore. Mm-hmm. I really feel that coming from a contractarian standpoint, yeah. the lore defines the morality and moral alignments of your character. Well, then, how For do you example, say- you wouldn't have the fate system or a guide of how the fate system is supposed to interact with the character without understanding the greater world setting. True, but I can see that, but then how do you interact with people that hold contrary ethical views? Like, How do you get people to play the like, I mean, this is a, and always with philosophy, when you're doing mental exercises, you go with extremes. 
What have you had a game where your players start out as slave traders? How do you get a group convinced to do that if the entire game they're going to remain slave traders and they don't redeem themselves? Can you actually play that game? And would it be good for the players to play it? Like as a as an ST or a GM, like inevitably that might be the moral system in which they live in as a character. But how do you integrate that with the player and have a justifiable reason? I had a group of players that swore up and down they wanted to play a game based off of Dragon Ball Z. Okay, what do you guys want to be? Well, we all know, all want to be Saiyans that are out there destroying planets and what have you. Okay, cool. So we're going to start you off as Frieza's minions. And that game devolved in one session. By the end of the first session, we were like, no, nah, we're, we're not feeling this. Let's not do this. Well, it's similar yeah. to a, a session that I had with my actors, which I guess is the advantage of having actors that they can divest themselves from the character. Worth mentioning, we have hit the hour mark. Mm-hmm. So finish this thought. And then last thoughts or whatever, because we don't we don't want to bore people. <laughs> don't worry, I, I do already that accomplished often. that. Um, <laughs> but this particular person had issues with scenarios involving losing children. Oh yeah, I and that. in this particular session, and of course Brian will just reel at the thought of this because on the world setting it really violates a lot of rules. The Tremere had it set up where a bunch of orphans were being drained of blood in the church. Okay. And she had to watch as these children died in front of her. Yeah. Because she's an actor, she was able to divest herself from her character and still be able to infiltrate this particular scenario. Okay. So I think that it's important that the players themselves understand that their character is not under the same social moral as they themselves currently are. Yeah. My two cents on the entire matter is if you're having fun, you're not doing it wrong. If you're not having fun, you're probably you're doing it wrong. It up. Yeah. I guess I guess what are you going to say more? Uh, it's you know there's a good time and a place for the evil bad guys are murdering children so we can hate mm-hmm. them. Yes. There's a good time and place for that. And there's a good time and place to know not. You know? The evil bad guy is going to rape your character. Oh, yeah. No. That's going to go into next week's. No matter what your gender is. Because, let's face it, the action of rape has nothing to do with sex. It has, has everything to do, to do with power. power. Yeah. But, uh, you know... That would make a lot of tables uncomfortable. Mm. I can think of a couple tables that could handle that with maturity and grace, and then a couple tables that that would just evolve into everybody's raping everybody just to show that they have power over everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Because people are evil bastards. Yeah. I love us all, but we're all chaotic evil. Well, and here's my two cents on that. My two cents is, is that morality systems in games are there to help advise or guide, but I think the best use of any kind of morality uh, comes from the GM. Um, It builds a vibrant world. If you have characters that are not cookie cutters, NPCs that you may or may not do questionable things, and world situations where countries are against countries for no better reason than a deep-seated tribalism or hatred, I think those add to the score. And I think with the GM... I think, as you said, you have to be aware of who's at your table because I'm never going to run a game where someone gets raped where a person in the game is a rape victim. I don't want to do that. But there are going to be other things that are going to bring out questions of how do you handle a world that most people, because admit it, what we want to do in a, in a RPG game is deal with the world that we don't normally have to deal with. Deal with the world we don't normally deal with and be powerful in a way that we normally aren't. And so you have to give them a way so to overcome a lot it. of people want to be a combat badass because we can't just punch the person in the face when they yeah. piss us off. Which is why combat usually is the biggest draw to these systems. But I think that if you use a morality system well, it informs the actions and the meaning of the party. Instead of just going and saving the world, but better understanding the world that they're supposed to save. And maybe, in some cases, changing the world 
to be a better place, not just keep people from dying. Mm-hmm. My personal two cents on it, and I'm just going to harken back to this, is that it can be abused, and I think we've That's all true. seen that happen. Oh. And truthfully, I think the morality is kind of a guide for how your character interacts with the world. Yeah. And I think that it should take into account more. Um, I also think that the morality of the system, and forgive me for so many ums, I'm pretty sure that there's a drinking game now. Mm. But, drinking game. but what I was going to say is that the use of the morality system is great for defining your characters, and I usually impose it upon my actors. <laughs> yeah. You're way more into the morality system than a lot of people are. Yeah. Sever. I, I think... I think it, the whole thing really does boil down to it can be a useful set of reins if you need to rein people in. Yeah, that's definitely true. It definitely can be used for good motivation if you're trying to give a character dramatic motivation. Um, as sad as it is, and I seem to default to this all the damn time, but are we not grown-ups? Mm-hmm. Are we not playing a social hobby? involves dealing with other people. So the yeah. best way to ensure that your hobby moves smart, moves smoothly is have that damn conversation. I think we just need a t-shirt that just says, RPGs, have an adult conversation. <laughs> we don't sell merch, but if we did, that would be If what we, we ever sell. sell merch, it's going to be, uh, don't fuck with the fun and have, have an adult, adult conversation. conversation. Can y'all have one that says we do it on the table? <laughs> I have no idea. Somebody might already have that. That's, yeah, someone might have that one. Don't say these things on air. Somebody's going to steal it. That's true. All of our three listeners. No one's going to steal it and have an adult conversation, though. It doesn't make sense unless you listen to the podcast. <laughs> uh, but, anyways, next week we have the X card, right? Yeah, next week should be the X card. Okay. Um, thank you, Austin, for joining us. I'm glad that we were able to pull you out of your cave with your actors and your scripts and into the bright light of the real world. I have to get away from my cult every so often. <laughs> uh, thank you, Matt, for joining us as usual. He's going to punch me. You all Probably. know this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> thanks to Kevin McLeod from Competech.com for providing our music, uh, Faster Dozen and Dark Sealand. And with that, we'll be signing off. Thank you.